Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at a couple of verses. We've been in 1 and 2 Timothy now for the last few weeks talking about the end times and things that would go on in uh, the last days. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, in his greeting <clears throat> to Timothy, in verse number 5, he said, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. That word there, genuine, in my Bible has a, a mark next to it, a little number And it says unhypocritical. Other translations say the sincere faith, which was which was first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Notice faith was transferred from grandmother to mother. To son. Amen. Well, faith is transferable. Now, I'm not talking about the faith that you exercise to get, receive an answer to prayer. It's talking about the Christian faith. The, the, when the word is used concerning the Christian faith, it's not talking about the religion of Christianity. It's talking about the body of truth that has been revealed through the epistles of the, New, of the New Testament. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of truth and doctrine and all that we've received is transferable. It passes from one person to another, but it doesn't happen automatically. In this verse, in verse number five, it says, when I call to remembrance... The way that's translated in this English translation makes you think that he made, he thought himself. He, re, he, he recalled something on his own. That's a different Greek word. The word that's actually translated called to remembrance here is, is, means I was made to remember. Not I decided to remember, but I was made to. Something happened He doesn't say what it was, but something happened when he was in prison. Something happened during his tests and trials he was undergoing that caused him to remember the faith that was in Timothy's grandmother and then in Timothy's mother. And he said, I'm persuaded it's in you also. Well, it, it was transferred, but it didn't happen automatically. There's, a, there's a, a reason why. Go over to the third chapter. Verse 15 says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's talking about the faith that you exercised to receive something, the faith in Christ Jesus. So what was transferred, the body of truth, the faith 
the Christian faith, if you go over to the 16th chapter, if we don't have time to do it this morning, if you go to the 16th chapter of Acts, you'll see the story of how when Paul was on a second missionary journey, he was in Lystra and Derby and those areas, and that's when he met Timothy. He was a young man at the time, and evidently his mother and grandmother had been saved on Paul's first missionary journey. In his first missionary journey, he went through that same area, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, so and so forth. And so uh, evidently they were saved at that time. And, and it says in Acts chapter 16, on the, in a second missionary journey when he met Timothy, it says that, that his mother was a believing Jewish woman. In other words, she was a, a Jewish woman who had become saved. She had gotten saved. She believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, but his father was a Greek. And it doesn't say he was a believing Greek. He was a Gentile, but evidently not a believer. Because it said his mother was a believing Jew, but his, fa- but his father was a Greek. So his father was unsaved. The influence of his mother in spite of the fact that his father could not help him spiritually, his mother and her mother before her were godly influences on Timothy and shaped his life and the faith that was in them transferred down to Timothy even though his father was an unbeliever. Moms, if you are, those moms out here today, maybe you're serving God and your husband is not living right, not living for God, not setting example. That doesn't mean your children have to suffer the consequences of that. In fact, in, in, the, in the epistles to the, to the Corinthians, in one of them, Paul talks about uh, uh, women with unsaved husbands. Says, don't leave your husband. If he's, if he's willing to live, for you, live with you in peace, then live with him. And know that your child is sanctified by your faith, even though your husband's not living right. That word sanctified there simply means set apart for God. So there is provision in every situation. Yes, it's better to have a husband and wife living for God and have a godly father as well as a godly mother. But moms, you can take courage. God will honor your faith as though your husband was with you in it. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But that's really not my message today. Go over with me. This is really what I want to talk about. Go with me. I want to talk about another mother. Go with me to uh, Exodus chapter 2. We want to talk about Moses' mother. Exodus chapter 2. And let's look, we're going to look at three openings, one in the Old Testament here in Exodus and a couple in the New Testament. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, and a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that, the, that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Well, let's, let's, get, let's back up a little bit just to give you the backstory. The children of Israel uh, ended up in Egypt when uh, in Jacob and in and, and his son's days, you know, they sold his brother, sold Joseph's brother, sold him into, into slavery, but then there was a famine. And, uh, and so uh, in order to protect, he ended up, Joseph ended up, ended up in Pharaoh's 
uh, household and became the second in command in all of, all of Egypt. And so there was, an e- there was a famine in the, in the land where the, where, uh, of Israel. It wasn't Israel at the time, but in their territory. So they came, the, his, Jacob and his other uh, brothers came to Egypt. And Joseph took them in and provided for them. Well, they, the, the, the people of, of Israel, they weren't called Israel at the time. They were just known as Hebrews. They were multiplying. And Pharaoh was concerned that the time could come. There would be more Hebrews than there were Egyptians. And that there could be a revolt that the Hebrews could rise up and become more powerful than the Egyptians and, and actually rebel against Pharaoh and might even side in with some of their uh, enemies and, and, and there could be a, a civil war. And so he, uh, he put some, some policies into, in, into place to make it difficult for them so they kind of suppressed them, but they just multiplied more and more and more. So finally... Uh, uh, Pharaoh said, here's what we're going to do. Every male child that's born among the Hebrews will be killed, will be destroyed. Okay. So this decree went out that all of the, uh, male children born to the Hebrews would be destroyed. And so that's the, that's the background of the story. And it says here that, uh, uh, she conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister, that is Miriam, we find out later her name was Miriam, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverbank. That is her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister, Miriam, standing close by, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to the mother, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him and the child grew And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called, that is, Pharaoh's daughter called his name Moses, saying, Behold, I drew him out of the water. Then it goes on to talk about things that that happened after that, after Moses became a man. And it says it came into his heart to visit uh, his brethren uh, among the Hebrews. Well, that tells us that even though he was raised in Pharaoh's household as Pharaoh's daughter's son, his natural mother still had contact with him because he understood something about the Hebrews and understood that they were brethren and that they were God's people. And so that tells us that uh, that he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, but he was also raised by his own mother. She was given the, the opportunity to nurse him as a baby and paid for it.
And Pharaoh's daughter raised the man who would eventually lead the children out of Egypt and overcome Pharaoh. Only God can arrange something like this. Now, evidently, Moses' mother was divinely instructed to do what she did. There was a plan here. Because if Miriam was watching the riverside when Pharaoh's daughter and her, and her attendants came down when Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe, then they must have lived nearby. So Mo- Moses' natural mother knew about the princess and her attendants and her habits. And she was divinely instructed to put the child there. Perhaps she knew what God's plan, how it would unfold, or, or perhaps she didn't. But this was a divine plan. Listen, God always has a plan for your child. You say, well, my child, you know, we didn't plan, we didn't plan our child. You might not have, as husband and wife, you might not have planned that child. But the only thing that you, that you provided was a body. A, that child, a body. But that spirit came from God and God created a spirit and put that spirit inside that egg at the moment it was, it was fertilized and, and that spirit came from God and that child is the one God knows and he has a plan. Has a plan. Amen. Go over with me to Acts chapter 7. I would have had time for this this morning if the Holy Ghost hadn't taking some of my time. Verse 20, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God and was brought up. Now, in, in Exodus 2, it says that she saw that he was a beautiful child. Here, this passage gives us more insight into what that means. Every mother thinks her baby's beautiful. Come on now. Besides that, did she just save him because he was beautiful? Would she just thrown her ugly children away? <laughs> this wasn't just a naturally beautiful child. Here it says, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. In fact, in the 26 translations, uh, some of the versions say, some of the ver- versions say he was a wonderfully beautiful child. That's the 20th century translation. Uh, one translation says he was beautiful before God. That's the A-B-U-V, and I forgot what that is. He was beautiful before God. Moffat's translation says a divinely beautiful child. Berkeley ch- translation says beautiful in God's sight. Phillips' version says a child of remarkable beauty. And the New English Bible said He was a fine child and pleasing to God. There was something about this child that was beyond the natural and his mother picked up on it. Amen. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And look at verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born... Was hidden. Now, this is not talking about Moses' faith. It's talking about his mother's faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents 
because they saw he was a beautiful child. Again, they saw something about him that was, that, that there was, God's hand was upon him in an unusual way. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Notice, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. You know, you, sometimes we say, oh, you know, I love Jesus more than any earthly treasure, but, you know, we don't have much. <laughs> but he was Pharaoh's son, basically. He had access to the treasures of Egypt. A, a, a degree of wealth none of us can even imagine. Uh, a privilege that none of us can imagine. Access that none of us can imagine. He said, says he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Well, praise the Lord. I want to talk to you today about the relationship between children and their parents' faith. It was faith, I have, I have four points. The first three are, it was faith that saw the hand of God on the child. Number two, it was faith that was unafraid of the wrath of the king. And number three, it was faith that hid the child and saved his life. In each child born to believing parents, Christian parents, Faith today seems, sees the same destiny, meets the same uh, dangers, and finds the same path for safety for our children. Number one, by faith, Moses' parents saw that the hand of God was on him. Like I said, this was more than just the natural bias of a mother's love. God opened their understanding and their eyes to see something special in this child. And see that the, the eye of faith today still sees. When uh, I'm talking about believing parents, a believing mom and a believing dad. The eye of faith can see something in that child. The, the eye of faith, to, to unsaved people so sadly... This is true. So often a child is just an inconvenience. Just something to, to, to uh, 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 a point of annoyance and inconvenience. Something that we just have to take care of. And, and yes, there's a love for it, but it's a natural love. For a Christian, a Christian looks at, a, at, at that newborn child and sees God's hand. That a, a Christian can see that, because you see, when babies are born, the life of God is in them. They're alive unto God. They haven't known sin. Their spirits are alive unto God. And a, and a Christian parents can, parent can sense radiating out of, that, out of that child the very life and light of God. Your child may not be as special as Moses in the plan of God, but your child is as special to the plan of God as any other one is. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. 
So a parrot sees that. The div- a parent also, a believing parrot, sees, sees the divine worth, the value of that child. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference to a, to a godly parent when they understand that Christ came for this little one. He paid the maximum ultimate sacrifice. God sent his son and let him die on a cross for this little one. That is, that, that creates a value that, that is beyond anything in life. Amen. And again, it sees a divine plan. Now, you might not know the plan. You might not know what God's plan is for your child, but if, but if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a believer, you sense when you hold that little baby in your arms that this, this child is destined, is destined for something in God's world, in God's life, in God's work, that there's a, there's a call on this, this child's life, maybe to be in the pulpit, but maybe not. But there's a divine plan, a divine a destiny Faith sees that, just like Moses' parents saw that he was special. I pray that the eyes of parents today will be opened to see their child as God does. Hallelujah. Number two, by faith, Moses' mother saw the danger, but she didn't fear it. You see, faith confronts the danger and cuts it off. Faith sees the danger, all right, but faith confronts it and overcomes it. Now, how did she do that? Well, like we have uh, said, Pharaoh had decreed that the children of the Hebrews be cut off, that they be killed, destroyed. Because he knew that if the children were destroyed, then God's people would die out. There'd be no need for the trouble and the expense uh, uh, and danger of a, of a future war. Instead, by a slow, silent, but sure process, the entire nation could be cut off. The prince of the darkness of this world today follows the same plan. He has the same policy. The devil knows that when the church is alive and even the world itself knows that when the church is alive, when the church is on fire, when the church is in revival, when the church is in power, there's no stopping it. There's not enough armies that can overcome it. They know that. Their eyes are on the children. The world's eyes are on our children. The darkness of this world wants to get into our children because the devil knows if he can cut off the children, the nation, the Christians will die out. It's happened over and over and over again in nations and in cultures. Amen. And all too often... Christian parents allow the world easy access to their children. Most often, I'll just tell you the truth, most often, not here necessarily, could be, but most often Christian children grow up with little real knowledge of salvation. 
Most families, children born into Christian homes most often grow up with very little real knowledge of Christianity. They're taught a little bit at church, maybe if they go to church, if, even if they do. They're not taught what it, what it takes to live victoriously. They're not taught what belongs to them, what, what has happened and what belongs to them in Christ. They grow up with a very shallow knowledge of Christianity. Parents entrust these children instead to godless secular teachers and are allowed to, to associate with those whose spirit and influence is altogether worldly. They allow their children to associate with kids that don't know God, to go into the homes that don't know God, of their friends, to associate, just to just basically throw their kids out there and just let the world and the spirit of this age influence them. I'm saying most often that happens. Amen. In many a Christian home, life starts out with an earnest and real deliberate consciousness of God. Most often, it starts out that way. But as the children grow, that ceases to be so. And more and more worldliness is allowed to influence the children until the time comes when the children have lost that tenderness toward God that they knew in the beginning. That, that essence of, of innocence and purity that Jesus spoke about when he said, bring the little children to me for of such are the kingdom of God. There's so much in that, in that child, in that baby, and that young child that is so ready to be molded and to be shaped into the image of God. But too often parents, like I said, as time goes by and the children grow up, the tone changes. The knowledge and presence of God grows more and more dim in the home. How little the church has realized what a powerful effect the parental relation has on the future of the church. Satan's strategy is to capture the children. Like I said, faith recognizes the danger. Faith doesn't deny the danger. I said, well, this is discouraging, Pastor. We'll get to the, we'll get to the cutting this off in a minute. But faith, for, faith doesn't, doesn't deny the danger. Faith sees it. David knew what he was uh, what he was headed for when he took up against Goliath. He saw the danger, he knew. But he also knew the God in whom he was in covenant, praise God. So we need to recognize the danger so that we'll act. To a large extent, the education of the young has been left to the state, to secular school and to the spirit of this age until the youthful heart has lost the simplicity and tenderness that was so obvious and so clear at the beginning. What thousands upon thousands of Christian children have drowned in the Nile of this age. Because their parents just let them go. 
You have, to, you have to be proactive where your children are concerned. Amen. We need our eyes opened. It isn't infidelity, drugs, witchcraft, anything else you can think of. That's not the threat to our children. The threat to our children is worldliness in Christian homes. That's the threat. That's what the devil is banking on. But you see, Moses' parents, though they saw the danger, they took action. By faith, believing parents can still find the same path of safety today that Moses' parents saw. It says, by faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. He was, Moses was not hidden from the world or from, I'll say it like this, Moses' parents didn't hide him from Egypt. They hid him for the plan of God. That's what he was hidden for so that the plan of God to take place. Now they hid that child With a trust. They had a trust. They trusted the covenant keeping God to keep their child in the secret place of the Most High. That's where they really hid Moses. So that he that walks in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's where their faith was. Their faith was in the covenant keeping God and they really didn't know that much about him. But there was something divine going on where Moses was concerned. There was inspiration that came from this child that helped these children to do something, this, these parents to do something uh, that they perhaps didn't even understand. They hid that child in God's protective custody. And God's hand was on him. And there was a plan behind it. Amen. You need to lay your child in God's care daily in faith from the very beginning confidently when when my first son was born I was not in fellowship with the Lord but when he was about two years old I got back into fellowship with the Lord and began to 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 really follow God in earnest and not too long after that as I began to to grow in in faith and understand the power of faith. And I began to, to understand how, how uh, confident I could be that when God gave me something, I could have it, I could keep it. Something belonged to me. I began to grow in my confidence that God would do what I asked him to do. I had no teaching. I had nobody, nobody instructed me. To my knowledge, I'd never heard a message because we in our denomination believe that raise the child in the way he should go and when he gets old, it's sort of like a toss of the dice. Maybe he'll live for God, maybe he won't. But if he doesn't, someday he'll come back. That's the, I, I know I heard that. But something in me, just, it, it just had to be from God. No, I, I didn't read it anywhere. Something in me told me that I could declare over my son that he, would, that he would love God, 
that he would live for God, that he would know God all the days of his life from that point on, and that he would never stray. Something in me, a faith rose up on the inside of me from feeding on the word just simply that I could have what I say. And I remember I took Steve up. He was just a, he was just a, a young boy. But I took him up and I held him. And I said, now God, I believe that you'll keep my son and that he will love you, know you, serve you all the days of his life. And it was just a simple thing. And for me, it was settled. And, and it, was settled from, it was settled that day, the next day, the next. Nothing that happened in his life growing up could make me change my mind. Same thing happened when, when Greg was born by then. You know, Ansel and I were, were in fellowship with the Lord. And I took that little baby up. And I said, now, Father, this child you've given us. And in faith, we give him to you. In other words, we commit him to your keeping. And he will love you. He will know you. He will serve you all of the days of his life. Your plan for him will be full. We made that declaration. And we just, we just believed it. Parents, you have the right to do that. You must do that. You must do that. We believed that God would keep that which we had committed to him. So it wasn't something that I had to, to spend a lot of time, you know, fussing over or worrying about. I, after that, I never worried. After that, it, I never entertained a thought. And they, I didn't have many thoughts that would come because it just was outside the realm of, of, of reason for me. But if a thought ever come that my child or my sons, one of my sons, you know, might, you know, not, not know God or, you know, fall away. I, I just, no, I don't, I can't believe that. I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. And that's really what Moses' parents did. By putting that child in that little ark in the bulrushes and pushing him away, yet hanging around to see what would happen. They hid that child in God's protective custody. Oh, glory to God. Let the refuge and fortress of the Lord and his feathers be your child's ark in the bulrushes. At the earliest age of reason, be sure that the love of Jesus is the place of safety to which you guide his tender little feet. Amen. In the quietness of home life. Shelter him, listen to me now, shelter him from the influence of a civilization and culture that is careening out of control and is heading for judgment. We didn't allow our children when they were very young, we didn't allow them to be exposed to a lot of the ungodliness in the world. We, we monitored what they read and what they watched on TV and movies and so forth. We just didn't allow things into our home. We made sure that our influence was the number one influence. And when the philosophy of this world and the, and the, and the spirit of this age would, would begin to uh, make its way and itself known in our, in our young children's life, we would always counter that with the word. We'd always tell them, you know, that's not true. This is the truth. We protected our children. T- parents... It's your job to hide your child. 
to hide your child in the ark of God's safety and keep everything out that's not supposed to be there. And when the time comes, we were so confident of this. When the time would come, we knew that our child, our sons, either one of them could stand in Pharaoh's court and not be defiled. That they would not be taken in by it. Parents, if you'll raise your children, keeping them hid in this ark of safety where you, where you minister God's life and his love to them and, and, and shield them and protect them from things that they ought not know, the time will come when they'll make their own choice. When the spirit of this age presents itself to them, they'll know how to answer it. Glory to God. And that, came, that time came in Moses' life. When he came of age, he had been raised in Pharaoh's court. Says he was educated in all of the ways of the Egyptians. But you couldn't get, you couldn't get him out from under that covenant. Glory to God that his parents entered into with God when they hid him in the bulrushes. You couldn't, you couldn't overcome that. As influential as I mean, he was in as an influential place you could be in this world. He wasn't down the street. In a little shack, he was in Pharaoh's house. But it came into his heart that he would visit his brethren. Glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Parents, I tell you what, the faith of this mother, I'm sure the dad was involved because it mentions parents, but more more than, than anything, it mentions the mother and what she did. That faith is communicated and transferred. When the time comes that your child must come into contact with this world, let it be settled in your heart that God will keep what you have committed to him in faith. Then finally, I have a fourth point. The reward of the faith of Moses' parents can be yours too. Train a child for God and for his church. And when the time comes that he must go into the world, even Pharaoh's court, he will be safe in the power of faith and God's keeping. The education Moses' mother gave her son during the, year, during the years of his childhood was much more powerful than the years of training in Pharaoh's house. Our children, now we, we, in our church, we never really advocated keeping you, and we didn't, we, it was okay, people go do what they want to, but we didn't advocate, we didn't take this real strong advocacy against having your children in public school. We didn't advocate that it was better to put them in private school. Some people did, we weren't against that. It can be wonderful. But the reason we didn't advocate uh, putting that children must be put in a private Christian school and not in a secular school is we believed that the strength and the wisdom that we could put in our children would be greater than anything the world could put in them. And we were of of the conviction that as they grew, when you're in the first grade, you don't confront the world to the same degree that you do when you're in the first year of college. We knew that our children could be exposed gradually to this world, but what we could put in them and would put in them would be far more powerful. And their testimony could stand in in the kindergarten. Their stand for God could could carry them in first grade, second grade, right on up through elementary school, middle school, and high school. And when they were in college, we knew that the faith that we had put in them 
And the truth that we had put in them, had put in them would hold them. It wasn't, we weren't believing in ourselves. We were believing in the God who promised us this, that he would keep what we committed to him. And he's done just that. Glory to God. I tell you what, the faith that was in Lois, the faith that was transferred by her to, to, to Eunice, and the faith that was transferred by her to Timothy, that ought to be the story of every family in this church. It can be. It must be. You say, well, I've, I've missed my opportunity. You can, still be a, you can still be a help to the others. You can be an encouragement to young mothers. You've known the danger. You can pray. And I tell you what, God, God will, God will do what he said he would do. Yes, he will. Your children will grow up to have a testimony and a knowledge of God for themselves. And it won't be something that they just believe because mom and daddy believes it. It'll be because it's real on the inside of them that they have proven God faithful in their own lives. Well, hallelujah. Why don't you stand up? Glory to God. Hallelujah. So today really wasn't a Mother's Day message as much as I guess as a parenting message. But it's fitting on Mother's Day. Amen. Glory to God. God is so good. God has been so good to my wife and me. God has proven himself faithful in our lives. When we started out, we didn't know much. And we had a, we had a, a lot of odds stacked against us, you might say. But we took the principles of God's word and we just began to lay them down in our lives. Just line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. Just wherever we could get truth, we just, and from the spirit of God, we just lay it down in our lives. God's been faithful. I look at my sons and the choices they've made for life's mates, our wonderful daughter-in-laws, our, our blessed grandchildren, tell you there's no reward this side of heaven like that God wants this for every family the future of the church demands it we cannot afford to let the world take our children just cannot do it we will not do it we will not do it amen glory to God father we thank you today for your goodness and and your help When we haven't known what to do, you guided us. You directed us, led us around many a pitfall. And all we knew to do was just stay steadfast and to keep believing what we believe, keep saying what we said, keep doing what we were doing. Father, I pray that this example and this message will reach the hearts of every parent here today, particularly those who are raising their children. Give them hope. Give them something to look for, a confident expectation. And Father, may they get into your word and find the promise for themselves so that they can have the same reward of faith that Moses' parents had and we've had, Father. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.